But, uh, well, we tonight are going to pick up, um, if you've got your Bible, go to a, that, that uh, real easy to find book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes. And uh, it actually is not too hard. Uh, best way to remember it is it comes just before the Bible, the, the book of the Bible we never go to. Song of Solomon. Y'all ever read Song of Solomon, you know why. That's not the easiest one to go to. One day we might do a little investigating into that book because it's got some very, very good teaching. It's got some very, very sweet understandings in it. Um, but it's not the easiest one to jump into on a regular basis. Any, any preacher that goes to Song of Solomon 24-7, I start wondering about. But uh, Ecclesiastes, if you think Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So if you can find Proverbs, which by the way, if you do uh, that, that old that saying, a Proverbs a day keeps the devil away. If you uh, read a book of Proverbs every single day, you know where the book of Proverbs is. And uh, go one little bitty book over, which it's so, it's so small that uh, just a few pages there, you could easily miss it. But Ecclesiastes chapter 6, one verse is all we're going to read <clears throat> And um, y'all saw how easy it was to get through one verse this morning. So one verse, and uh, it's just Ecclesiastes 6 and verse number 1. And this is kind of the, um, the basis of, of where we're coming from and talking about it. We call this one of our heavy topics because if you've ever been cornered by somebody with a question like this, it's a pretty weighty question to try to answer because typically they come at you with both barrels already loaded, firing away uh, with a, you know, oh, he's so good, then why, why does he allow evil? Well, if God's so good and right, why does he allow bad things to happen? Okay, especially let some, let some horrific thing take place in our country and see how many people will go nuts uh, against churches and against those who stand for God and attack the thought of he can't be good he can't be right. He can't be all-powerful. He can't be all-knowing because if he was, he wouldn't let that happen. Now, you have people come against you with that and with that attitude, and they'll ask you the question, but they're not really honestly open to an answer. They've already predetermined. They know that God is no good. They've already predetermined. They know that, matter of fact, since he allowed it, then all the evil in the world is his fault. It's all on him. He's to blame. So why would I want to trust in a God who's to blame for all the evil? That, that is the mentality. When you have that come at you, and typically it's not going to be something you're ready for. You're going to get broadsided by it. Um, it's, it's a pretty weighty thing to take on and, and, and try to give an answer to. So it is a heavy topic because it is a, a touchy one. It's an emotional topic. People allow our, we allow our emotions to get involved in some things. As a matter of fact, may I say, most of the accusations towards God do not have to do with any true logic, and they do not have to do with any actual truth. They actually are buried and steeped in emotions and issues of, of, of our, our inner feelings. And when you start getting to that point, um, you're not rational. You're emotional. And it becomes very dangerous. And so how do we answer people? I mean, what, what is the right answer to give? There, we talked about a few simple answers as a whole. 
um, uh, last time, and I'll give you that first one we dealt with, but I'm going to build a little bit more of a case as well as we go along. I'm going to give you two more tonight um, and and build this case a little bit as to the understanding of uh, who we are in reference to who God is and kind of how we got here. I I understand I'm, I'm preaching to the choir to a degree. Uh, we all, in our minds, can know and understand uh, to a larger degree that it's not God's fault. It is sin is man's fault. We know that. But um, it, it's good to have the refreshing uh, understanding of how, how to deal with the real topic, the real issue presented. And, uh, and so Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse number 1 simply says this, Uh, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men, which means you don't have to look hard. There is an evil that is witnessed, that is seen, that is understood under the sun, and it is common among men. And people will say, well, that's not fair. God should not allow such evil in the world. Can I give you one balancing statement to that that I would not suggest you use with people right away because it'd probably just be poking the bear. You're not going to get very far with this one. But between all of us that are kind of on the same page with this, um, let's just evaluate one quick thought. We say, well, that's just not fair that God would allow that kind of evil. Let's go back to, I don't remember when it was. I preached a message on why we categorize sin. Why do human beings categorize sin? Well, that's really bad. Well, that, you know, yeah, I've done that, but that's not really that bad. Oh my goodness, that is evil. That's not good, but you know, it's it's not the worst. Why do men categorize sin? And typically we always put our sins a little bit lower than everybody else's, right? But we do that simply because we want to think that what I'm guilty of is not as bad as it really is. And we want to believe that if somebody else is is greater in their guilt than I am, then they have a lot more to deal with. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It goes all the way back to the beginning of all this. When God said, Adam, what have you done? And Adam instantly said, well, it wasn't as bad as her. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. It was the woman thou, oh, by the way, the woman thou gave me. You did it, Lord. How could you do that to me, Lord? (laughs) He seemed to be happy with her up until that point. But here's the thing. Adam pointed and said, but Lord, look at her. And then Eve pointed and said, but look at that sneaky serpent. Man has done the same thing ever since. Categorized what I'm guilty of and subverted the attention off of me to to point to somebody else's greater issue. It's not changed. 
the same thing has happened from generation to generation. You see it all throughout the Bible, and, uh, and we still see it today. Men categorize sin. So when people say, well, God should not allow that evil, let's not forget every wickedness, every sin is evil in the sight of God. So when we lie so that we can get a raise and nobody knows that we were the problem and we did this or we did that, or when we take what's not ours, or when, or when we uh, twist and manipulate things so as to be on the better side of something while other people suffer, um, when we are doing things that are benefiting ourselves, it's in God's eyes as a whole, it is in God's eyes just as evil as what Hitler did. Oh no, that was way worse. In man's categorization of sin, Hitler's was way worse. In God's eyes concerning sin, even the sin of one lie is enough to be guilty. And you can't be in his presence for eternity without it taken care of. And so, now, please don't get me wrong. I understand we can all validate that there are things that men do that could easily be labeled as way more severe than other things. There are things that we do even in laws that we have. There are things that we do that come with lesser or greater punishments because they do have lesser or greater implications based off of what we're doing. I'm not whitewashing or trying to do away with that, but understand, as a whole, when people are wanting to blame God for the evil in the world, they're categorizing the worst of the worst of the worst, and they're not even considering the evil they do. Well, why doesn't God go ahead and just kill you too? I mean... Think about what you said about that person over there behind their back and just about destroyed their, their, their testimony and their job and everything else. Think about the way we've treated or done things and then the things that we've done from our childhood all the way up. Think about how wicked we are and say, why would God even give me a chance then? If he was going to annihilate all evil, we wouldn't be here because we're as guilty as everyone else. So that's just a premise, just an understanding. Like I said, I wouldn't start with that because you're probably going to get the door slammed in your face. You've got to start with a little, little more of a soft answer <laughs> to, uh, to, to this question that people bring. Why does God allow evil? And uh, let, let me pray, and we're gonna, I'm going to jump in and just give you uh, a couple of more main points to consider this evening and then we will we'll be done for this evening. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at this. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for allowing us to be here. Thank you for the safety you've given each and every person in coming back to your house tonight. And I, I pray, Lord, uh, as you met with us this morning, I pray that you would meet with us once again and challenge our hearts, challenge our lives in, in understanding how to give a proper answer to people who are very clearly struggling, if not already on the verge of being against God by blaming him for all the evil. And I pray that you just help us, Lord, to be able to give the right answer the right way. And Lord, help us to learn what is needed from your word to, uh, to be able to, to meet these challenges 
in the way that, uh, that our Savior would have us do it. We'll trust you for the truth we need to know and, and pray that you'd help us to be able to hold on to it and retain it. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. And uh, so tonight, we, we, we first off, um, I'm not going to rehash all of it, but we simply did say the, the first thing to understand is why does God allow evil? Well, the first thing and clear thing is trouble in this world is man's fault, not God's. God created everything perfect. God made everything exactly as it ought to be. God gave man everything they needed. And uh, man, through Adam and Eve, rebelled against God's command. And in that rebellion, they did the very thing. One rule. One rule. And they broke it. And uh, they had the entire garden. They had everything at their disposal. And that one tree was not to be messed with. Leave it alone. Well, and then the question would come, well, then why did God put that tree in the garden? Because God wanted man to have a choice. Choose me. Choose obedience. Don't, don't choose what appears to be, but choose what you know is good and right. Choose to walk with me every day. Choose to fellowship with me at all times. Choose the blessings that I've given and just stay away from the, the, the choice that would draw you from me. And so at the point that they chose to rebel against God, they had everything they could ask for as well as the, the kind of fellowship with the Father that we still today have not experienced ourselves. Now, some, some of us in here might have had some very close walking times with the Lord through our life. But none of us have literally walked with him physically. Not yet. Well, one day, if you know Christ your Savior, you'll get that opportunity. And that's exciting. Uh, the fact that we get to fellowship and be in his presence. But imagine Adam and Eve, they had one up on us. They didn't just walk with him in a spiritual sense. They walked with him in the actual physical sense of knowing what it was to walk and talk with their creator. There was no question, does God exist? They saw him every day. There was no question, is God really good to us? <laughs> they saw the evidence of it all the time. They did not know what pain was. They did not know what suffering was. They had no clue of what those things were. May I say, that is probably the hardest thing for, going back to the kids, but it's probably the hardest thing for kids growing up in church. Growing up underneath good homes and underneath good preaching underneath all the good things, one of the hardest things is they don't even have a clue what it's like on the other end of that spectrum. And so little things happen. They're like, I tell you what, I just got so bad. You haven't got a clue. I've got it so rough. You haven't got a clue. My parents are so mean. Oh, you haven't got a clue. I wish, I've told some people this, I wish I could create a machine. There's one invention I wish I could, I could invent. I'd make millions. But it'd be better than that. My, my invention would be this. I would love to make, you want to call it a dream machine? I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But it would be a machine where you could take kids from good homes and godly environments and you could take those kids and stick them in this machine. And within a matter of minutes, they would live years of experience. 
And they would get to switch places with those who are on the opposite end of being raised in other types of environments. And they would get the chance to understand what hunger is. And get the chance to understand what anger is in a home. Get the chance to understand without it having any lasting effects outside of when you take them out of that machine, they'd stop, they'd drop out of there kissing the floor saying, thank you, Lord, it was only a dream. Because getting to experience, at least by a little bit of knowledge, even if it was just a dream type thing, getting to experience that would so change their mentality of reality that they face. Most people don't even have what they need to compare to. And that, Listen, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying go out to the world. You got to go to the world so you know how to compare it. No, what I'm saying is, Most people under good situations, just like Adam and Eve, they have no clue what the other end of this spectrum is going to bring. But they think they know. And they think it's not good enough. Why would Eve even be tempted? Because for some reason, there was something in her head, I believe, saying, he might be right. This, This serpent here talking to me might actually have a point. I mean... Here we are with all this, but I mean, but we can't this, and we can't that, and we can't this, and we can't that. And it's, like, it's like just one can't. You just don't go here. But, you know, give one rule, and it's like, ah, oh, roll, roll, roll. But it's been the same since Adam and Eve. If we could see the other side, it would be like it was for me in my first experience when I went outside the States. I spent five and a half to six months in the Philippines, uh, not vacationing, by the way. I did not see all the vacation spots. I saw the deep, dark areas of the back areas of uh, you know, you know, people, people living in cardboard boxes, things of that nature. Stayed with a missionary, worked with them all over the different islands, and um, drained me of every penny I had. I tell you what, it's expensive to renew those visas every single month. Especially when they say, oh, American, we're going to up it. Um, but when, when I got back from the Philippines, my view of America was different. I had forgotten about that because that was back in 2001. And I had forgotten a little bit about that. And then several years ago, I got a chance to go two years in a row to Nigeria. I've been to, I've been to Jamaica as well. Jamaica wasn't too terribly bad. It was interesting, but it wasn't too terribly bad. I went to Nigeria, though. And Nigeria was definitely a complete eye-opener again. It's a whole different scenario. Very dirty. Um, They have roads. But what we call potholes are a laugh, okay? They're potholes your car disappears in. And when it rains really hard... They, what they do is they throw rocks down the bottom of it and they throw a whole bunch of dirt over. But then when it rains really hard and all that dirt washes out, guess what's still in the bottom? The rocks. I'm talking about boulders. And when your car goes in, I mean, I'm talking about, and they don't slow down. I told my wife we came back, we had that little, that little Nissan Versa we had for the longest time until Victoria destroyed it. I mean, no, I'm, I'm picking. I mean, it wasn't her fault. <laughs> she got hit. <clears throat> but we got back, we had that little Nissan Versa, and uh, we were driving down a road, back road, on uh, uh, going to her mom and dad's house, and we're going down, and we hit one of those little 
the road was starting to fall apart. And so we hit a little pothole. She's like, easy. I said, oh, dear, 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 dear. I've seen what these little cars can do. We don't give them near the credit that they can handle. This little car can take a lot more abuse than that little pothole. But I tell you this much. When I came back from Nigeria, it reminded me of when I came back from the Philippines. I came back from Nigeria when I got back to America. Uh, When I got home and started driving again, I found myself not complaining about the potholes. I found myself not throwing a fit over, will they fix that anytime soon? I found myself with a whole different mentality because it was nothing compared to what I had just experienced. And they experience that every day. I get to enjoy this little pothole. They go about that deep. Their cars disappear in their potholes. Now watch. What I'm saying is, if we're not careful, we often accuse God of things. And sometimes it can be us doing it. But we can accuse God because we get into a singular mindset of how we expect it ought to be and we think God's not being good enough. Until we get a chance to see how others face life and what they have to face and then we come back and say, why am I complaining? And we say, God has been good to me. And by the way, may I say, when I went to Nigeria, those people over there, those Christians over there, the churches over there, when you talk to them, they didn't say, oh, you see what we got to deal with? Mm-mm. Most of the time, they're finding whatever they can to thank God for. But boy, we are blessed. We are blessed. And I'm thinking, you're blessed? Yeah, you're blessed. You're blessed. Your car came back out of that thing. That's what you're blessed. Most of them ride, ride the little the little um, little two-cylinder bicycles or whatever they are. It sounds like a weed eater going everywhere. Uh, But by the way, many of them have legs missing and they never get to do anything. That that was their business until, of course, all the vehicles crunched up into one thing and they're on a motorcycle. When you get crunched in between vehicles with bare legs, guess what's going to happen? And that is one of the number one dangers of being a motorcycle no taxi, and wouldn't you know the missionary stuck me on a motorcycle taxi? I'm like, <laughs> you try to kill me, uh, but um, you can you can feel the love. But uh, but you look at what they deal with, and they did not complain like we would complain. May I say, so many times our issue is, and many others when they say, well, God is not doing right by allowing these things. It's because we're too focused on what we expect without realizing the blessings we actually receive. If I got what I deserved, I would not be here. Forget whether or not God allows other evils. If I got what I deserve, I would not be here. But let me give you this very quickly. Not only is sin, sin is man's fault, not God's. But we have to understand God is holy. He is our Savior, but also a judge. He is the judge of all the earth. Psalm 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. So everything he allows, he's justified in. Everything he sins, he's justified in. 
Everything God does, he is righteous and holy as the judge of all the earth to do or allow whatever he does or allows. Who are we to point accusation to the holy judge of all the earth? God warned from the beginning that if man disobeyed his law, that there would be punishment. And that's exactly what happened. Because of sin, the world came under God's proclaimed curse. The curse is not on men. The curse is on sin. But since sin is what we are guilty of, then we face the punishment of the curse of sin. God is not the one guilty He is the judge that must follow and carry out his righteous sentence on sin. We know that there is an eternal sentence on unforgiven and an eternal sentence on those who have not not been washed by the blood of the Lamb concerning sin. But there is also the daily sentences of dealing with the curse. So, yes, is there evil in this world? Yes, there is. Is it God's fault? Absolutely not. He warned man from the beginning, if you sin, if you rebel, there will be consequence. And every sin since Adam and Eve, every sin brings consequence. Every sin brings consequence. Your sin in life brings consequence. My sin in life brings consequence. And by the way, what we will do is not necessarily the farthest links that others might do. But for every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. And for every sin, there is an equal consequence because of the curse of sin. So, evil we see in the world in many cases, is just the result of man's continual sin. The more depraved man becomes in sin, the more capable we are of doing more and more wicked or seeing more and more wicked deeds that surpass our imagination. Man can do many things that we could not quite comprehend We've seen great things. We've seen pretty horrible stuff in the history of the time frame that we look at. But as a whole, it is all a result of the curse of sin. Now, I will give you this. We're going to stop for tonight. You say, well, there's the curse on sin. It's all man's fault. Doom and gloom, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. So... How is God good? Okay. Simple answer with that. God does allow evil because there has already been a sentence that there's consequence to sin. Evil is a result of sin. So, God does allow some evil, but has God stopped being good because he doesn't stop every evil thing? No. Because God has given light Two men, but many have rejected it. There is not a failure of hope in this world. There is not a lack of the ability to know hope in this life. 
there is a lack of accepting it. John 1 verse 9 through 11 says, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, talking about Jesus, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If man lives in darkness and man lives in the awful aspects of the evil that is experienced in this world, if man is suffering under evil and suffering in darkness, it's not because light doesn't exist. It's many times because man has refused it. And when light is not allowed, darkness is a result. We live in a very Y'all bear with me, but we live in what is becoming a very dark country. I don't hate our country. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not going to put down the blessings that we still have in this country. I hope the Lord allows us to see more of it because without it, we would not have the freedoms to do what we're doing. But here's the thing. As a nation becomes darker and darker and darker, not Because light isn't available, but because man is trying to extinguish it. As man rejects the light that God has given, what is the automatic result left behind? Darkness. As man rejects the blessing and good that God wants to do through Christ, what's left behind? wickedness and evil why did God allow it he didn't necessarily have to allow it man brought it on ourselves by rejecting the light of the world or may I say even by the church not being the light ouch ye are the light of the world ye are the salt of the earth salt had lost its savor is therefore good for nothing a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Just like a man does not take a candle and hide it under a bushel. You're the light of the world. Let your light so shine. But if the church has gone dark or is trying to hide so as not to be noticed, that's happening. We don't want to be seen. They might target us. (laughs) If you're light, you're going to be seen. If his light is shining through us, they're going to see it. Matter of fact, the darker it gets, the, the, as they say, the, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Why was it uh, during, during war? I've been watching a lot of uh, old black and white war movies. My wife hates them. I love them. Um, but watching them and, and, and always, always, always the night scene. You always hear, douse that light, douse that light. They're in the middle of an area. Ain't nobody around. It's nighttime and one person lights a match. Whoa, put that out. It's just one little match. Yeah, but from the sky, it's just pitch black. That one little match comes across like a speck in the darkness. They don't know what it is, but they know I can aim for it. If the church is what we're supposed to be, we ought to be getting hit left and right. 
if the church is what we're supposed to be, the light is shining in darkness. And the darker it gets around us, the more we will stand out. But preacher, we're going to get targeted. Yep. And trust me, I'm not as happy. I'm not happy about it just like you aren't, okay? I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not excited about it. I don't like to have to go meet with city officials about things that could be very detrimental to the ministries of this church. I don't like having to do that. But it's going to get worse. And we can choose to hide under the bushel so as not to be spotted. Or we can choose to let that light shine until God takes us home through natural causes or persecution. But regardless, if the light is not present, all you have left is darkness. And if you think it's bad now, wait until the true evil day comes. When most all the light is extinguished. And most of the world is steeped in darkness following a false Christ. I got to be done. There's three versions. There's, I should say there's three lights that God has given man. I'll give you this and we'll, be, we'll stop. I say I will. I'm trying. There is the light of creation. The Bible talks about even, you just look around. Creation itself declares the glory of God. Creation itself shows that God exists. Creation itself presents the hope that, that God intended. There is also the light of conscience. Every man has conscience. Now, may I say that conscience that's within a man naturally is, I personally believe, at salvation, replaced with more potent truth, and that is through the Holy Spirit. You have a conscience that is a guide, that is a light in the darkness without the truth. It's at least a flickering light. But when the Holy Spirit is come to dwell within by accepting Christ as our Savior, now is that which is barely holding on made alive. Now that which is dead and that which is overrun with darkness and there's a spark, but it's not enough to do anything much, but at least there's a conscience there to know there is right, there is wrong. It, you see truth, you can recognize, well, hey, that's what I've been looking for. What is that? That's the spark of the conscience that God gives every man. But the moment that man receives Christ as their Savior, all of a sudden, gas is thrown on it. And now within us, now there is life. Now there is light. Now there is the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And we are no longer of our own. But we are bought with a price. And we are to glorify God in our body and our spirit. It is the light conscience every man has. The Holy Spirit of God to guide in a greater sense, a much greater way, the child of God receives when they receive Christ as their Savior. But every man has conscience. That's how people can have somewhat moral, moral codes, even if they're not saved. Because their conscience, Jiminy Cricket, their conscience, y'all know y'all were already there. I know y'all were. Their conscience, let your conscience be your guide. <laughs> You have a conscience. God gave it to man. That is, that is a form of light that God gave, which leads man to want to have more light if they're seeking truth. And then the third is there's the light of the Bible. 
You have the light of creation that's around us every day. You have the light of the conscience that God gives every single man to understand there is right and wrong. There is a spark of truth and understanding and man can twist that or man can go searching for the source of that truth. And then when they find it, they find the light of life which then lights every man. And that light, by the way, we're told in the New Testament that if you are a child of God, you should not be living any longer in darkness because within you dwells the light. This light God has given because evil exists. This light God has given as a hope for mankind because wickedness is in this world. And we're going to be touched by it. And we're going to face it. And it's going to get hard. And it's going to be difficult not to say, well, God, why did you let that happen? Why, it, Lord, if, if, you're, if you're wanting to bless and you're wanting to guide, did you, did you not promise to actually guide us? Well, yeah, the light is always there. But the results of sin are also present at all times. It is the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living that keeps godly people from fainting. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Why? Because the land of the living is dark. But the goodness of the Lord gives me the strength to endure evil and not blame him. I will just give you these things and this is it. I'm done right here. Here it is. You can go throughout the Bible and you'll find over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, man has been told about the light. Over and over and over and over and over again, man has been told about who God is. Over and over and over and over again, man has been warned about what wickedness would bring, the evil that men have to endure sometimes. In the beginning... When man first sinned, God began to show them the way of salvation. In the beginning, God began to show Adam and Eve his mercy and love, and there was a plan. Adam and Eve, being the first man and woman, uh, knew God and knew about his salvation. I can't go into all the details there, but Adam himself, and get this, Adam lived 930 years. Do you know what that means? Genesis 5, 5 talks about that. That means that for the first, right at the first full millennium of time, the first created man lived to tell the story of God that he walked with and talked with. For 930 years, Adam told all those around him who God was and what God had done. Hmm. I mean, he was, he was there when the animals were named. Matter of fact, he did it. Somebody look and say, uh, I think that's a armadillo. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's an anteater. Don't you know that? I named that one. Okay, but Adam was there. Adam was there to teach and instruct. Now get this. He was there, but he wasn't the only one. Adam's second son, the Bible says in Luke 11 and Hebrews 11, it talks about Abel. Luke 11 says that Abel is in the list of prophets that people killed. 
So Abel was one who spoke of God and spoke of what God expected of man. And it talks about how man, wicked men, have killed my prophets, starting with Abel. Well, who killed Abel? Cain. So all those that go after God's preachers follow in the way of Cain. It's interesting. Before the flood, there were other prophets. Enoch was one. It says, I think he was the fifth or seventh from Adam. The seventh from Adam. A prophet who preached about the, ultimately the second coming of Christ. He preached about what was to come, God's plan. And he was laughed and mocked. You realize that Adam lived quite some time, as it says, you know, as in the days of Noah, the wickedness that was going on. You realize when all that wickedness was beginning, the man that God created, who gave personal account of being created by God, no one else around, it was just me and him. He breathed the breath of life into me and then he put me to sleep. And next thing I know, I woke up and here was this beautiful thing beside me. He gave me Eve. Here's Adam giving personal testimony of the power of Almighty God, the creator of all the earth. And yet man and his wickedness, even with Adam's testimony, led to the days of Noah. Noah was a prophet. The Bible talks about in 2 Peter 2, 5, he was a preacher of righteousness and he preached what we would say 120 years, the time frame of building. He was preaching truth. Job lived after the flood and knew many things about God, including salvation through the coming Savior and the bodily resurrection. Job talked many times in many different ways about truth and declared it to his friends. Solomon himself and all his problems, Solomon proclaimed the true God to many nations in his day. Here's what's really interesting. God used heathen kings. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon Uh, He made proclamation about the true God to the nations of his day and proclaimed what he would do if they spoke against the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. King Darius, when it came to Daniel, he was the the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, also made proclamation about the true God to the nations of his time frame because of what he witnessed from Daniel. The apostles preached the gospel throughout the Middle East uh, as well as in Asia, Africa, and Europe. Romans 1.8 talks about that. They turned the world upside down. May I say as a whole, men have no excuse for sitting in darkness and not knowing the true and living God. Men are responsible to seek God according to Acts 17.27. God cannot be blamed for man's spiritual ignorance. Well, if God's so good, then why didn't he show us how to fight this? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against wickedness, rulers of darkness. (laughs) This book is nothing but a manual of how to fight against that which is against God. Man has received light in every generation. 
but most have rejected it. And the natural result, the natural conclusion, the natural curse on the rejection of a holy God is to experience the evil that comes because of it. All the evil we see, does God allow? Yes. Nothing comes. We've said that before. Nothing hits. Nothing comes. Nothing happens that God does not allow. But may I say, much of it has already been proclaimed. And as the righteous and perfect judge of all the earth, he must let the consequence fall. I believe it's taught throughout God's word that his hope is not that man turn bitter towards him. But his desire is that all that we face cause us to realize our condition. And then say, I want that light. Because he is the light of the world and he is the hope of all mankind. God has given us the ability to endure, to survive, (laughs) and to fight against the evil that we find. But we must do it through the light or else it will get the better of us. So it is not God's fault. It is man's fault. God is holy and he is not only our savior, he is the judge of all the earth. Therefore, the judge of all the earth must do right. And as a whole, God has given light. He has given hope. He has given a way to deal with this. But most men reject it. That's kind of where we find ourselves. Well, we got a few others to hit. We're not going to do it tonight. It's already been long enough. But um, don't forget, God has not done us wrong. He's only allowed what he said would happen if we did not choose to follow him. That's where we find ourselves in this world today, the results of not following him. So maybe if we start following, maybe if we start reaching, maybe if we start being that light, we might see some things change a little bit. I don't know. All I know is there are souls out there in need of a savior. There are souls in darkness in need of light. And may I say, we have that light and shame on us if we do not shine as God commands. Heavenly Father, we again thank you.